Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources that remind you you're not alone. In this episode number 239, I get the pleasure of chatting with Vicki Courtney. I feel like I'm one of these moms that I want to know the truth. I want to know what I'm up against. I'm going to go into this like it's a battle, and I'm going to do everything I can to educate my children, to engage with my children in these necessary conversations, but I'm also going to be willing to own it when I make mistakes along the way or I get it wrong and I have to go back and apologize. So I'm going to show a level of humility. I'm going to remind my children that I'm also a student here. I'm learning still myself in many areas what grace looks like, what truth is in regard to some things. I'm always learning as a student of the Bible. So we go into it with humility, with a lot of grace, and knowing that our kids aren't going to always get it right. And they're not going to always listen to that conversation we have and then turn around and be super Christian kid. Vicki is a mom, a grandma, a speaker, and a best-selling author of several books and Bible studies. Today, she's coming on the show because recently they released a revised and expanded version of two of her books. One is Five Conversations You Must Have With Your Daughter, and the other is Five Conversations You Must Have with your son. Y'all know how much I love having a mentor on the show and Vicki is so good. She is helping us because she spent over a decade working with teens and tweens and then taking that information and providing resources to parents so they could engage their children in understanding the culture they live in. And with these expanded versions, she's had to do even more research on what is the current state of our country and the environment that our kids are growing up in. And if you have young kids, my hope is you are not overcome with a spirit of fear, that you recognize that God is bigger. You also recognize that your role is important and that these meaningful conversations matter because you're equipping your kids to then go into the world. And honestly, I feel like in order to engage in meaningful conversations, we as moms need to be taking the time to study and to know God's word personally so that we can share those things with our kids. One resource I want to connect you with is the Enjoy God's Word Conference. It's happening in April 23rd through 25th online. And what that means is when you get a ticket, you get access to watch the different sessions as they go live, but you also have access to them forever. So you can watch them whenever is convenient for you. What you're going to get is six sessions by my friend Katie Orr walking you through the book of Philippians. You're also going to have 25 amazing breakout sessions going from different areas of studying God's word to prayer. I have one that I'm going to be talking about the authority we've been given from God and how to engage in different prayer tools to actually activate God's word into our lives. So that's pretty exciting. If you want to check it out, Go to don'tmomalone.com forward slash enjoy God's word. And if you're listening the day this episode releases, you've got one more day to purchase a ticket for $20 off. After this, for a limited time, you'll still get a ticket for $10 off, and then they're going to go to the full price. So I don't want you to miss out on any savings. If you're thinking about joining us, go check it out today. Don'tmomalone.com forward slash enjoy God's word. Let me know if you're going to join us. All right, let's get to my chat with Vicki. Here we go. Hey, Vicki, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thank you so much for having me. 
Well, this is a treat for me because I've seen your name around and I'm confident we have common friends since we're both in Texas, but I've never had you on the show, which is a travesty because you're a wealth of information. Better late than never. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, your new releases of a, a book that's been around, revised and expanded versions of books that have been around, came to my door and I was like, yes, let's chat. I need Vicki to come on the show because moms reach out to me and they're like, how do I connect with my kids? How do I have conversations with my kids? I, I've done a lot of episodes on discipline and you know the harder places, but how do I build in? And so this is going to be a great resource for them. I'm, so before we jump into all of it, I would love for you to introduce everyone to your family. Okay, sure. Um, I am currently in the empty nest stage of life, which is basically the reward for all the hard work of raising those kids. It's what you have to look forward to. And so my husband and I coming up on um, 34 years of marriage, and we have three grown children, boy, girl, boy, and they are 30, 28, and 25. They are all married, and they're all raising their own children now. So the best part of this whole empty nest thing is that I am a grandmother, and I have currently five grandchildren and a sixth on the way, all boys and one little grand princess in the mix of all that. Oh, so fun. Well, you uh, have been doing ministry for a little while beyond, you know, the ministry of motherhood and grandmotherhood. You've been ministering to others. Tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to the place of writing these books. Sure, sure. Well, I I really don't have that testimony that's like, you know, 30 words or less, but I'll try to keep it brief. (laughs) Um, I became a Christian uh, in my college years at the University of Texas at the age of 21 and was married about two years after that. And we, uh, within a year, had our first child. And so all that to say, prior to coming to know Christ, I was a staunch agnostic and feminist. So I have pretty exciting testimony right there. Uh, Not enough time for that today, but all that to say, I was a brand new believer pretty much in those years that I was a new wife and a new mother. So it was hard for me to, I had really no template to go by. I was learning on the run. And and one of the richest things in my early Christian years was a mentor that poured into me. And so this mentor really is, I think she's the one who inspired me to uh, begin to share my story, my testimony. And I offered myself to God one day in prayer and just said, you know, I would love to be a part of a new and better women's movement, Lord. And so what that turned into is within 10 years, God called me to start a ministry to college women originally. And um, I should note that I knew only two college women at this time. They babysat my children. So hey, I thought, he wow. He expands what the boundaries, right? Like you took the step of faith and he will bring everyone. He'll do it. He will. And, you know, and I know he called me to that audience because it was in my own college years where everything changed for me. Yeah. You know, I had I was the poster child of a girl who believed the lies of the culture for 21 years. Someone cared enough to share about Jesus Christ with me and his life saving gospel. And my life turned around that day. And 
August of 1985. And so God called me out 10 years later, about 10 years later, to then go back and minister to that audience of college women, because I knew that many of them had bought into the same lies that I had. So fast forward to 98, and I start an event for college women, uh, the really first of its kind. Prior to that, you know, everything was co-ed college women and men would attend these co-ed events. And so our poor college women always had to sit through the hunting and sports analogies from the all-male speaking platform. And so it was just very different because, the let's be honest, the needs of our young women are different than the needs of our young men. But God bless those efforts. And within a couple of years, there were over a thousand college women coming in from all over the country to these events. And God had expanded it beyond just my little town of Austin, Texas. Uh, and eventually I took it to a younger audience of high school and middle school girls, uh, mother-daughter types of events across the country. And I began to write books and resources for particularly mothers raising daughters in a challenging culture. So that's where my writing ministry really began, was as an outflow, if you will, of ministering to young women at events, hearing their stories firsthand of really the challenges they face, by and large, these are Christian girls. And then translating much of what I was seeing on this front row God had given me to, you know, these challenges facing our young women, translating that back to the mothers in the form of, hey, how can we start having some necessary conversations with our daughters? Uh, So five conversations you must have with your daughters released in its original form 10 years ago. And then two years later, um, I followed with five conversations you must have with your son because I have two sons and a daughter. So it was necessary to update these books. And I was thrilled when my publisher contacted me about a year and a half ago and said, would you be interested in doing this? I say I was thrilled. It was a mixed bag of emotions. (laughs) I I get you. I I see you. It's not easy. No. That's right. I I no longer really um, focus primarily on the mother-daughter, teen girl, tween girl. I do a handful of mother-daughter events a year. But after my last child left the nest, I'll be honest with you, and this was in 2011, I no longer wanted to know what was going on in the culture. (laughs) I was entering the empty nest stage. I had a grandbaby due within months of my youngest child leaving the nest. My older son was having his first. And I just didn't want to know any more about, at that time, Miley Cyrus and the whole slew of them and their influence on culture. And so I went back to ministering primarily to women. And again, doing a handful of events here and there for mothers and daughters. So ignorance was bliss during those years, Heather. It was bliss. And so along comes my publisher and says, hey, you know, how how about you update these books? And that required me about a year and a half ago to jump back into the trenches and see what's going on, you know, out there now. And what hit me is that this is a whole new generation. You know, the previous books were really written to your Gen X parent, raising your millennial child, which I'm guessing is probably you. Well, I I, I just miss it by like a couple of years, but yeah. Mm -hmm. You're probably straddling two generations. I'm in this really weird, like only three years are covered, (laughs) covering me. I don't, I don't know where I fit, but. Yeah. And I, I, that's where I am too. You know, back in 63, I'm kind of straddling the boomers and Gen X. So you've got a unique perspective there because you dabble in both. You can understand both. Yeah. But 
these new books, all that to say, are really written to millennial parents raising this new and upcoming generation of iGen or some call them Gen Z. So, you know, that was my challenge is understanding a brand new generation of children. And by default of that, the conversations needed to change and needed to be updated. Mm, Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, think about, yeah, the iPhone alone. Oh, yeah. So much has changed. So So much. much. So And faster and faster. So yeah, I can get like you're seeing these grandbabies being born and you're like, I don't want to know. I don't even want to know what's coming for them. Right. And so the mom that's listening that has little kids, I get those emails of I'm terrified of the kind of world my kids are going to have if this is the world we live in now. And where did I hear someone say recently that the place we are in as a culture now is that we don't have hope that it can be better for our kids. In previous generations, there was this hope it can be better. So the depression era, I'll make a better world for my kids. The 50s, I'll make a better world for my kids. The 80s. And now we're like, can we? And we're just almost throwing up our hands like there's no hope. And so I don't, I mean, I'm confident that (laughs) you have processed through this a lot Yes. What hope can you give to the mom who has the young kids right now or the one who has even the teens that are going through this? Like, have you seen glimpses as you've interacted? Well, okay. So when I dove in and I began reading countless articles and books on particularly this generation, Gen Z, I'm going to be honest with you. I had moments where I had to pull away. And because of the fact that I have grandchildren, and they are, by the way, seven and under, all the way down to as young as five months old and one on the way. And so I was left at times feeling paralyzed by fear over what I was reading, just record levels of mental health issues, a lot of it related to you know, just their screen addictions and just all kinds of things, you know, and so I had to pull away and dive back into God's word, right? And and he very quickly reminded me, okay, Vicky, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What about that did you miss along the way? And so I love how, you know, the the quote that you just referred to about this may be the first generation where it might not be possible for it to be better. As you were saying that, I realized that, you know, we have to really dig deep and each of us define what we feel constitutes better. And so better in regard to the quote you shared is, no, you know what, this generation coming down the pike may not be able to own their first home at the same age we did. They're growing up in now post-Christian America. That's another defining factor about this generation is this is the first generation where really prior to this, you could assume that most children had some base level knowledge of Christianity, Um, Our nation, as it is, is no longer really uh, friendly to the faith. You can't assume that everyone is jumping on that bandwagon of the same morals and values we have. And so that's a challenge we face there. But here lies the hope. You're getting. You're like, where? Where is it? Panic. <laughs> we're okay. We're we're all feeling desperate now, right? And so, uh, what God showed me, and I really was left feeling so excited about this, is that also what comes in that package of this whole idea of okay, the, just take for example the the levels of mental health issues and such. Now, 
nothing is different about this generation in the sense that they are chasing after something to fill the void. We all have that void, right? We all have chased after things along the way, and we learn somewhere along the way, hopefully, that nothing will fill that void other than the love of Christ and his gospel. And so for our children, they are going to feel an awareness of that void sooner. But the hope is we have the answer. And the hope is I feel like we are ripe for massive revival out there if we can get this down. And one of the things I emphasize at the beginning of the book is that we are going to have to learn as parents to have conversations in such a way that we teach our children to walk in truth, obviously God's truth, but we lead with love. And so I feel like, you know, in past generations, as parents, we could teach our children, well, here's the truth. And the Bible says it here. And so you need to live this way. And a lot of times we forgot about the love part. Our children today, my grandchildren, are going to grow up in a culture where it is um, antagonistic, really, to the Christian faith. And so we can't just equip our children to go into their schools and uh, their extracurricular activities and wherever their circles are and blast their peers with the truth. That's not going to work. And we can't do that to our children either because a lot of them are going to be struggling with many of the things that they see their peers struggling with. And so we're going to have to have an appropriate balance of, yes, we teach them truth, but we're also not reacting with a level of shock like, well, how could you believe this? They're going to be hearing a lot from the culture on what the culture believes. And so we need to make sure we're not responding in shock to that. Of course, our kids are going to uh, have a natural propensity to want to conform to the culture. Most of us at some point along the way found ourselves doing that as well. And so, again, you know, we just need to change our methodology and the way we have the conversations and the heart behind it. Yeah. Okay. So love, then truth. And this is where I always remind my moms of kids under the age of five. It's not wasted time (laughs) ever. That's right. We always go back to Samuel. We go back to Moses. And that's all the time they had with their Jewish moms. And they held onto that faith. Mm -hmm. So it matters. That matters. And it's not like you're, like you said, hitting them over the head with truth. It's the love of the care and the hugs and the intimacy and the meeting the needs that yes, they're endless, but it, it matters. It's important. So that's not a wasted time for you. And it's not a, it's not an unimportant ministry because you don't have 40,000 followers. <laughs> You're doing right. holy work there and fighting the culture's lies with that starting point. Right. How do we, once they get past the age of five and we're the stages of homework and sports and <laughs> constant demands. And even for me, like my phone dinging me with texts from people and emails from people and phone calls from people, and I'm getting pulled in a way that I wasn't when my kids were younger. How do we have and make time for important conversations? And what's the best way to approach that, especially if you're a mom who maybe didn't grow up in a home where you talked with your parents about important things. It was just kind of like passing ships and factual information. and Everybody kind of went to their rooms What did you find to be most helpful in establishing an environment of having meaningful conversations? Well, I think before I can answer that, we would need to back up and address the root of the problem. And one of the things that I'm burdened by in mothers today, and I'm burdened for your generation of mothers, is the pressure. 
that you're under to be everything all the time and feel this level of perfection or, or pressure to meet a an unrealistic, I should say, benchmark of perfection that is really not possible for anyone. And so, of course, we, we know that I, I don't have to educate your listeners as to the things that trigger that. I think at this point, most everyone knows their own triggers that if I get on social media and I spend 45 minutes randomly surfing uh, and I'm looking to escape, right? But randomly, you know, perusing my newsfeed, they can usually identify that at the end of that, they feel worse, right? (laughs) And that it's usually because they are absorbing what they see and they're realizing, okay, I it appears that my children are not as well behaved as that person's children yeah. who's posting that pristine family photo and they all look like they love each other so much and they're even wearing matching outfits and they're not complaining. You know, <laughs> we're not seeing the behind the scenes yeah. highlight reel of what it took to get that photo or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all the pressures that mothers are under today and the things they're seeing, you know, I would first say that before you can have those conversations or acknowledge that it's a priority, you might need to go back and reprioritize or have take a look at your priorities. And so I, I feel like that a lot of when I'm ministering to young mothers and I have a heart for mentoring and that's been a, a really a a heartbeat of mine for many years as someone who I mentioned to you at the beginning of the show had the, I was the beneficiary of that in my own life as a young mother and a a new believer. I don't know where I'd be today had it not been for this mentor that poured into my life. And so I feel the same burden for young mothers today and the pressures they're under. And so I feel like God has allowed me to be somewhat of a cheerleader to them and saying, you know what? You are doing the best job you possibly can. And really the, the thing I'd probably tell moms is let yourself off the hook. Give yourself permission to not be everything, to not have to reach that whatever picture you have in your mind or the script that you imagine and identify those triggers that leave you feeling that way. Because my generation we didn't have this pressure of social media and we didn't have the internet. Okay. We didn't have the internet. So, you know, but we didn't have everyone coming at us and watching us Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. do what we were doing. And so for a lot of your moms, I think that they need to cut themselves some slack. They need to give themselves permission to really lighten up in a lot of areas. And so I share, I can't remember if it's in these books, but God made me write a book also on rest called Rest Assured. And it was after an intense burnout, uh, about two years after that, it took me about two years to recover from it, quite honestly. And a lot of it was a burnout from doing many, many good things, things in ministry. And I hit the wall and burned out. And two years after the fact, that's when I wrote a book on rest and was able to share many of the things that God taught me in that recovery period, if you will. And one of them was that it's okay not to do everything. It's okay to have margin in my life. I don't have to sign my kids up for everything under the sun, especially for those moms with kids under five really, I would say, let's extend that well beyond that, even to the grammar school years. My children at age 30, 28, and 25 were involved in a plethora of extracurricular activities. But at some point, it was in my youngest two, when they were in high school, middle school, 
our family hit a wall and we realized, okay, we need an intervention. And my husband and I sat the kids down and we said, you know what, this is insane, this pace that we're going. And we realized we don't have room for important conversations, right? Mm -hmm. That mom is writing about. We're not even (laughs) able to have these (laughs) conversations because we're always in the car and running to the next activity or feeling the pressure that we're, you know, we need to sign you up for everything in the summer. And, And so we told our kids, you can do one thing a season per child. And that was one of the smartest things we ever did. And not a one of my adult children today is in therapy over the fact that they didn't get to, you know, they had to basically quit keyboard or some of their activities. They're not bemoaning that at all. In fact, they're not really even looking back on or using the things that they did in their extracurricular activities. So I 100% agree. When you're on the side of it, you know, and this, this is a luxury of being an empty nester. You look back in your rearview mirror, right? And everything makes a lot more sense. And I can't tell you, Heather, the conversations that I would go back and have with my younger mom self, if she would only listen, right? And I would tell her, you know, Vicki, it is not going to matter five years from now if your child plays a musical instrument, goes to summer camp, takes that cooking class, you put them on the soccer team and they're never going to play anyway because they don't want to. <laughs> Whatever it is, it is yeah. not going to matter one year, five years, and certainly not 20 years from now yes. when they're raising their own kids. But I'll tell you what will matter. It'll be those moments that you spent together talking about important things, playing with them, spending time with them pointing out the beauty of God's creation each and every day as we go along. And unfortunately, in order to do those things, it requires margin and time. And so again, a long, long answer to your very short question. I think for a lot of the moms listening, you know, it's going to require that they reorder priorities and, you know, let themselves off the hook for this really overcommitted, overburdened life that our culture tells us is the way to live. Isn't it exciting that as families, we get to decide what our priorities and our values are going to be and intentionally choose those. And maybe you're listening to Vicki and thinking you would like to make meaningful conversations an important part of your family, but you don't know how to do that. Or you're wondering how maybe you have little kids and you're thinking that sounds super foreign. Well, I wanted to share with y'all that even when our boys were young, we made family dinners a priority and we found that to be a consistent place of really great conversation. Bruce and I both grew up in homes where family dinners, time around the table, long conversations happened. Even though his dad uh, is a doctor and my dad was a lawyer and they would get home super late, we still made it a priority then. And even now when my (laughs) boys are hangry uh, and Bruce is getting home later, because of traffic or whatever, we still make it a priority. And one thing that's really helped make that happen is this month's sponsor, Prep Dish. If you haven't heard me talk about them, it's a meal planning subscription service. And what they do is every Friday, they send me a PDF with the next week's meal plan. And it has four different meals, uh, breakfast, a snack, a dessert, and I can pick and choose what fits our family. There's a grocery list of prep instructions and cooking instructions. And so it kind of takes away the barriers to making sure a home-cooked family dinner happens. And maybe you don't even need the home-cooked part, but if you're looking for healthy food and you're looking for a meal plan to help you, go check out prepdish.com forward slash DMA, and they're going to give you two weeks to try it out for free. This coming week, I saw baked chicken with fingling potatoes and roasted fennel, 
beef fajitas, turkey minestrone, lots of good stuff. So go check it out. Go to prepdish.com forward slash DMA. All right, let's get back to my chat with Vicky. Here we go. Well, and it's like I said, their role is super important when they're zero to five, right? Like it matters. We're not saying motherhood doesn't matter, but we're also not essential. Like we're not going to mess our kids up. God's plan for them. (laughs) His plan for them is going to thrive. I'll never forget a kindergarten teacher of one of my boys. Her daughter wasn't really in a lot of sports. And and we're we're focusing in on here on sports, but I I get that some kids are naturally gifted. We are not dogging sports. That's just the example. But her daughter hadn't really done sports. And then as a freshman in high school, decided to try out for track. Well, she ended up being this amazing runner and then ended up getting a scholarship to go to UT for track. Like hadn't ever run until her freshman year of high school. So if this is God's plan, you're not going to, you're not powerful enough to thwart it. You just aren't. (laughs) And so there's freedom there. Like we are important, but not essential. And God is bigger than all of that. And so if it's a should from friends, like everyone's doing it, this is like trusting that studying your kids thing and not listening to what everyone's doing is what I need to be doing kind of thing. Well, and your example is so perfect. And it reminds me of a story I shared. Um, I can't remember which conversation. Oh, I'm, it was probably the failure to launch chapter for sons. Mm. Uh, and, you know, in talking about the pressures that we feel parents feel to like, even academically, we're all about, you know, what does it take to make sure that my child can uh, graduate in the top 10 percent and get into one of those colleges. That's a Texas thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I get, yes, it is a Texas thing. And so the pressures we feel and oftentimes those things become right, our priority or our emphasis over spiritual things Mm. that we should teaching our children. And so I share, you know, that a lot of times those things backfire anyway. And, and I'm sure you can understand this other with four children. It was with our third child that, you know, by that point, I think a lot of us as mothers, your goals, you've realized, okay, I'm going to take my goals down a notch or 10. And I'm going to just say, okay, this child, I'm going to try to keep them alive. Right. Right. Instead right. of alive okay, till five was one of our mottos. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Alive and the rest of our family as sane as possible. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So by by default of that, with a third child, you know, my husband and I would go into these parent teacher conferences. And I remember one in particular, and I share this in the book where the teacher was probably he was probably like first grade. And she said, you know, I can tell that you guys have been doing the math drill cards with him. He is really good at math. And I, I looked at my husband with this confused look and we just played along. Like, we don't want to be the bad parents, you know. Right, right, right. First thing I did when I got home was I dug through his backpack that, you know, it's been like six weeks since school started or whatever. And I find the math drill cards with the rubber band still around them. And I'm like, wow, how about that? You know, I got credit for something that I didn't even do. <laughs> and, you know, fast forward to now he's seventh or eighth grade and when they're in middle school, some kids qualify to take the real life SAT. I don't know if they still do this. And so literally the- my son is doing that this Saturday. Okay. So, so, That's so you crazy. will love, I didn't even know this was a thing. Okay. No, yeah. I, I didn't either because okay. guess what? My other two children didn't qualify to take. So <laughs> the third one does, and I don't, I don't pay much attention. I get the note. He's going to take the SAT, send him to school with a proper breakfast. So we found a pop tart on the way, <laughs> right? All that. It's yeah. the third child. I'm yes. telling you, we're just trying to survive. Yes. So I don't, pay any attention after that. And then, you know, one day, I want to say it was months later, 
I get something in the mail, a little package, and it has a medal in it, a medal that you wear around your neck. You know, it's like a a trophy, but a medal. And it's got this congratulatory note to my son (laughs) for having one of the highest math scores in the state of Texas and are inviting our whole family to a banquet coming. (laughs) I'm like, what in the world? So I dig through the junk mail pile, right? And I find finally these scores that I guess came weeks prior. And I call my husband at work and I'm like, honey, you are never going to believe this. Hayden is smart. (laughs) Like he's really, really smart. And we didn't know it. We we don't, yeah, we can't take credit or blame for any of these things. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Did nothing, Heather. We did nothing to pour into this child. But exactly like you said, God gives our children certain gifts. And I, you know, and so I look back and I laugh at that because I think, and I always tell my oldest child, I said, I'm glad it wasn't you that had those high scores. And he was very smart as well. But, you know, he just not this level of brilliant (laughs) test taking smart. And I tell him, I'm so glad because I would have completely ruined you as the first child. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that first child, you just need to always say, Okay, we're going to set aside some money for counseling because you're the guinea pig. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, but what you're saying here is since we don't need to worry about these things, God's going to orchestrate, you know, we're doing our part, but God ultimately orchestrates their destiny. But one thing we are, it's vitally important in the culture we live in is to make time for conversation. Yes, and we've got to have time to do that and not be as mothers snowed by the culture that good mothers sign their children up for everything under the sun. Good mothers go over their children's homework assignments every day after school. You know, one of the things I had to emphasize in the the chapter or the conversation that addresses growing up or childhood is only for a season. That's the fourth conversation is, you know, and especially, again, I hate to go back just to the signs, but I, I share a lot of data for moms raising boys, and that would be you. That, yeah, I'll take um, it. <laughs> I'm selfish in this podcast. Let's just make it about boys. Well, there you go. But, you know, I had two sons as well. And so the uh, there's a lot of statistics out there, disturbing statistics that our boys are struggling now in school and they're struggling to grow up, you know, mm. on it quite honestly. And so you know, just looking deeper into that data that's out there and that the way school is set up, I share some of that and recess has been cut and the amount of time and a lot of schools uh, for outdoor play has been cut and things that boys need, right, to in- basically engage their brains during the day. They're not able to sit still for as long and, you know, things like that. But all these things to say, it's we're having a harder time with this generation and launching our young men into adulthood. And so that was something that really, really burdened my heart with the boys and having to tackle, okay, what's going on there, you know, with our sons. And so I think we see a lot of with moms and my boys, they'll poke fun at me now. They can do this, right? They're 30 and 25. And so now we have a good time with this. But the times that I would lean into this, you know, helicopter parent, And I admit in the book that I'm a recovering helicopter parent. I would at times try to insulate my children from the dangers. I should say over insulate. Okay. Because we obviously as good mothers, we want to insulate our children from the dangers of the world. But this can really backfire with our boys. Mm. If we go to an extreme in protecting them so much so that we don't allow them to fail 
at times or we are running along behind them and rescuing them and trying to uh, make their lives as comfortable as possible. We will set our children up, but especially our boys up for failure in the future. And so where the best schoolroom for our children, oftentimes, just like with us, is failure in learning the consequences of bad choices and such. So again, there's another, maybe I should write a whole book on conversations I would go back and have with my younger mom self. And (laughs) um, you're probably wondering by the end of this, like, why, why is she writing these books? Like there's so many conversations (laughs) where, and again, I overall, I mean, I, I could not be, I should say, I could not be more proud of where my children are today. And I don't really, my husband and I would be the first to tell you, we don't accept credit for that. We give all the credit and the honor to God where it belongs. But I will tell you, I don't talk to many parents whose all three of their grown adult children are walking with Jesus. They married spouses who love and walk with Jesus, and they're all raising, all of the grandchildren are being raised in the faith. There is not a day that goes by that I take that for granted. And I feel so blessed by that. So I will, even though I'm not going to take any credit for that on the parenting front, I I will say that I don't think it hurts to be an engaged, caring parent who prays for their children, prays for their children's future spouses, if it's God's will that they marry, and does everything they can to fight to raise children who, again, walk in truth, but lead with love. And so I can't help but think that maybe that was just a tiny little factor. I'll take that much. (laughs) Well, and so what I've caught is you find setting our priorities so that connecting and having conversations with our kids is one of those priorities is important to helping establish the love piece and the truth piece as they launch out of our homes. And so does conversation come naturally to you? Like is, when did you find these conversations happened most often. For boys, I, I feel like it's a little different than with girls. Um, sometimes it's in the car even, even though we're driving a lot. I think we do have a lot of conversations in the car or doing something together side by side. What do you find? I took advantage of real time conversations. So for example, if we were in the car and a song came on pop radio and it had really sketchy lyrics, right? You know, mm-hmm. and I my child was singing to it. I wasn't afraid to say, oh, my word, wow, let's back up. Do you understand what it was that you just sang? Mm-hmm. And not in a shameful sort right. of judgmental way. Again, just kind of pointing you know, it out. Right. And then as a team, really analyze, okay, what do you think that means? Or what does that mean to uh, the person that wrote those lyrics? And how might that come across to your generation? And again, be very careful. You know, there's, there's this balance in parenting where if you go overboard and you're that parent who you never allow your children to do anything. I've got a lot of my adult Christian mom friends now who are watching that play out with their children because those children, it's a law of forbidden fruit, right? They leave your home and they go nuts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, a lot of them go nuts, not all of them, Mm -hmm. but there is something to be said for that law of forbidden fruit. So I talk a lot in the book about 
It's not just engaging real time in the conversations, but it's the attitude we have in regard to them. So, you know, at the beginning of this this broadcast, we talked some about fear and being afraid of all the challenges that this current generation of children is facing. And, you know, I want to address that for a second because I think it's really, really important to moms. And one of the things God showed me is that I want to raise children, and I believe I successfully did this, who are never afraid to talk to me about anything anything. Now, does that mean they did? No, they did not always come to me and about everything under the sun. And I share a very honest story about my youngest son. And I don't know if you've gotten that far in the boy book. Uh, There's a bonus conversation uh, that my 25-year-old son wrote to mothers like you, Heather, that Mm -hmm. is worth getting the book alone. Mm -hmm. And so you will see quickly in this book that my children did not always listen to these conversations and heed what I was telling them. But one of the things my son shares in this bonus sort of letter or conversation with moms raising boys right now, like yourself, is that I fostered an environment where he knew that he could come to me with anything. And he also knew that I was just as big a mess as he was. Mm-hmm. And so in having these conversations, you're not coming at it with finger wagging in their face, like, well, good Christian kids don't do these things, all right? Mm. (laughs) We didn't have any of that. My tone in my conversations was always, and maybe that's because I did become a Christian at 21 with a whole lot of baggage. Like I felt like there was just a U-Haul truck after U-Haul truck dumping baggage at the foot of the cross. So I was that girl. And by default of that, it wasn't that far removed from me by the time I had my first child three years later. There's a humility there. You're aware of like what you've been safe from. Right. Mm. And so for, for your moms listening, we all should have that humility. Yeah. And we all should remember the mess that we were, but also the mess we still are. Yeah. And so we come at it from an angle of, oh, wow, you know, if I were your age, I could see where I would want to listen to these songs and sing these songs. I would I could totally see why I would want to be on Snapchat. I could, you know, you're so you're coming at it from an angle of, of course, you want to look at pornography. What boy if offered that or stumbling upon it for the first time, the way that they're wired wouldn't have a desire that's there. Now, let's talk about this. Let's not be afraid to talk about why that's wrong. And so I took away out of, you know, that whole sort of freak out element, because if you're the mom who is responding in fear, you're going to raise fearful children. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So if your response to what you're seeing shakedown in the culture is gasping, oh, oh, you know, just frantic sort of, well, good kids, Christian kids don't do these things. And, uh, you know, how could anyone do this? Then you're setting your child up for right then. They are taking note. Oh, no, mom would never be able to handle this Mm. if I tell her the truth in regard to the challenges I'm facing. And this is, your kids are going to be facing these challenges as early as grade school. And, you know, maybe sooner, but as early as grade school. And I realize there's a lot of moms listening who have kids who are five and under. But that's why it's important to get the tone of your conversations down right now. Because this is something that it can be relearned. It's going to need some practice. 
you, you know, I, I joke when I speak to moms groups um, at events that, you know, sometimes when you, as your kids get older, especially if you have fostered this environment where they feel comfortable telling you things, they're going to tell you something and you are going to need to smile and then run off and excuse yourself <laughs> to your master bedroom closet and do a primal scream where they can't hear you or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But don't let them see the shock. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to want to respond in such a way where tell me more about that or let's talk about that. I think back to one of my mentors, Mary Flo Ridley. Do you know her from Dallas? I don't. Well, she teaches parents on how to talk to their kids about sex from a young age. And she always says to have this practice look on your face <laughs> and to say, I am so glad you asked. <laughs> yes, your game so face. helpful that you're not acting shocked and dismayed and horrified that this conversation is coming up, but to be that expert and to be their go-to resource. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about how often if my boys bring up something from the culture, I'm often having to talk them off the judgmental track. Like Mm. they can't believe such and so and so would do such and such. I feel like I have to remind them oftentimes that we're all sinners in need of grace. Like, did you ever find kids raised in the church kind of maybe maybe because mine aren't quite in fully into the high school years and so... Um, but their exposure has been highly bubbled Christian. But if they hear something or hear about something that's a twisted form of God's design, they're like horrified. Yes. And I would add to that, too, that it's not always just the kids by default raised in the church. Okay. At some point, it becomes, I think, a temperament, a, a okay. temperamental thing as well. So I think it was Tim Keller wrote this book, The Prodigal God, where he's talking about, I may have have gotten that title wrong, but I love him. And (laughs) the book is amazing. And, you know, really, I remember it's been years since I read the book, that he was one of the first ones that pointed out that the prodigal son, or the elder brother in the prodigal son story, is really no better than the prodigal, right? And so sometimes um, there are temperaments or personalities that lend themselves to being the elder brother, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I look at my own three children and my oldest son is kind of a mix of both. I feel he kind of flew under the radar. Like I thought he was a really good Christian kid. And for the most part, when I was raising him, if you had a, a scale, he, you know, he didn't tip the scale one way or the other, but he appeared to be behaving. And it wasn't until much later that I, I learned that, yeah, there were times he was up to no good mm-hmm. and I was just naive or whatever. You're wanting to assume the best. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. My second child, my daughter, and I don't feel like I, they may or may not listen to this and, you know, they would agree with us, I would think. My second child, my daughter, was your proverbial good Christian girl. She really was, for the most part. She was a rule follower. She's her father's personality. My husband was one of those. I think, you know, uh, by the time I met him, he uh, his biggest sins were running in the hallways at school, maybe chewing gum in class. <laughs> I, I exaggerate a little bit, but, right, you know, right, right. it was with interesting marriage, all that to say, he was a good Christian guy. And so she wanted to follow the rules because it just made sense, right? Mm -hmm, (laughs) I mean, she was very mm -hmm. risk averse. She would probably lean more toward what you're describing here. How could anyone do that? Why would anyone do those things? Uh, More of an elder brother mentality, if you will. Mm -hmm. My youngest son is a prodigal, not anymore. And what's funny is we would have looked at him over his 25 years and never would we have said, oh, please pray for my son Hayden. He's a prodigal. 
during these times, most of the time he was leading Bible studies. He was a leader in his uh, youth, in the youth group or on campus at the University of Texas in Young Life leading high school boys. And yet he'd be the first to tell you, no, I was absolutely a prodigal. I was out sowing my wild oats during this particular period of life. And so he can relate firsthand. And I, I can relate to that to some degree as well, what it's like to be a prodigal. And you tend to lean more toward mercy and grace. And so, you know, there's a there's a balance there, but I love that you brought that up because it's so important. And our children growing up today are not going to survive with an elder brother mentality. They're just not going to be able to do it. And so what a mom might need to do, and this is going to be a challenge if mom struggles with being an elder brother, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to go back to the place of where you were rescued and be reminded that your sin stinks just as much as everyone else's. And I'm just going to be really honest with all of that, because God doesn't weigh any sin at the foot of the cross. It's all equal. And so that's why, again, the tone in our conversations needs to be one that says, all but for the grace of God go I. Any one of us could be struggling just like that kid in your school, maybe that boy who's telling everybody on the playground that he thinks he's a girl. These things are happening out there. And rather than raising children, who blast that child with Bible verses on the playground. We instead raise our children to know truth, but to also know that all but for the grace of God go each and every one of them. And it could be them struggling with the same question someday. And so how do we teach them truth, but yet at the same time to lead in love? Oh, yes. Okay, so I had a mom reach out to me last week who's raising uh, middle school and uh, elementary age daughters, and she's struggling with feeling like the messages her daughters are getting about Jesus are more of a social justice hipster Jesus and kind of losing (laughs) the holiness of God. And in this culture where there's, you know, these choices of choosing purity or, or not, she says that the hipster Jesus isn't holding up enough reason why we're not going the way of those around us. Like, we're kind of lost the fear of God a little bit, you know, because of the love of God being so strong. So that message being so strong, this, so I love that you're talking about grace and truth and balance, but have you noticed a shift in the last 10 years of, of the Jesus and the, the Trinity that we're portraying? Oh, absolutely. But I would say this was going on long before 10 years ago. Yeah, so it's okay. always been going on at some level. I mean, I remember I've got multiple resources for tween and teen girls out there. And I remember sharing this very thing that we lack fear of God when we depict Jesus as our homeboy, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is not your homeboy. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes well. And I remember when that T-shirt came out, Jesus <laughs> is my homeboy. Yeah. I remember a particular retail store that's still quite popular yeah. among our young people selling Unfortunately, around Easter time, a uh, Jesus figurine doll that was meant to be a mockery. Mm -hmm. You know, these things have been going on for a while. And so, again, this is where it helps to have real time conversations with our children. Now, are they always going to respond in the way that we hope they would? Where, let's say, using your example, this mother of the eighth grade daughter 
who's being exposed to this hipster Jesus brand. That's really what it is. It's a brand. She can have honest conversations about, well, hey, let's talk about, you know, how does this measure up with what God tells us or or who Jesus tells us he is in scripture and what it means to actually fear God. And that word fear doesn't mean to be afraid of God, but it means to have an awe and a respect of him. And how might that go against what the Bible says. And again, not a big, long sermonette that's very (laughs) preachy and, you know, but just allowing them to also engage with us and think critically. Be curious together. Maybe be curious together. Like, I'm curious, like, this is the message we're getting. Let's just, you and I do a study. Like, let's, like, let's do a little study. What do we find out about Jesus? Yes, I I love that. I love that, Heather, because what that's saying is, you know what, it's okay for you to wrestle. Mm -hmm. And it's okay for you and I to wrestle out loud about these topics that you're being exposed to. And I think a lot of times we we have this, and I know my generation of mothers, uh, we had to get past that. And a lot of us never did get past it. I know I did where you have to come to, uh, to know or believe that it's okay to wrestle with some of these things. It's not, you know, I'm in no way am I saying that then you therefore draw conclusions that, oh, yeah, Jesus is hipster Jesus. No, you can wrestle with these things, but your ultimate authority in all of this is God and his truth that he's laid out in his word. But it's okay again, to wrestle with these things. And this generation, I'm going to tell you, and I share statistics in this book and, um, There are a couple books written that have examined this generation in particular and the spiritual challenges that we face in raising this generation and exactly what you're talking about, how they're embracing a very kind of cool, hip Jesus. It's all things to all people, if you will. Um, There's not, you know, a Jesus that likes to talk about sin or, you know, we don't even like to use that word anymore out there in the world. And so, again, we need to be very careful about how we engage in these conversations with our children, but we need to engage in these conversations so we're not afraid to talk about these things and to share truth with them. And one of the things that I share, again, as hope in this book, is that the children, the the surveys, Barna surveys are showing that the children, the Christian children who really have beliefs or values that are in line, more in line with what scripture teaches are, is this small sliver on the pie chart, if you will, of what they call engaged Christian children. And engaged Christian children are very different, Barna found, than the overall category of churched youth. Churched youth, and these are churched youth, these are kids regularly attending on Sunday morning, and engaged Christian youth are two completely different animals. And so churched youth believes by and large the same things as the rest of the culture is what we're finding. And it is the majority of the youth in our churches. Again, not to depress your listening audience here, but that I feel like I'm one of these moms that I want to know the truth. I want to know what I'm up against. I'm going to go into this like it's a battle and I'm going to do everything I can to educate my children, to engage with my children in these necessary conversations. But I'm also going to be willing to own it when I make mistakes along the way or I get it wrong and I have to go back and apologize. So I'm going to show a level of humility. I'm going to remind my children that I'm also a student here. I'm learning still myself in many areas what grace looks like. 
what truth is in regard to some things. I'm always learning as a student of the Bible, uh, of the Bible. So we go into it with humility, with a lot of grace and knowing that our kids aren't going to always get it right. And they're not going to always listen to that conversation we have and then turn around and be super Christian kid. Like, thank you, mother, for enlightening me in the ways of God. Yes, they're not going to turn around and just immediately thank us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I share in the final uh, conversation of the book where I really, really drill deep into spiritual disciplines. And I, I save that for the be- for the best, you know, part being last. Uh, but I talk about how when I was raising my kids, you know, I would like many moms as they're heading out the door say, you know, they've got car keys in hand and that's a terrifying stage of life, you know, when you're <laughs> you're watching them leave with the car keys and and I always would say make good choices and I laugh at how okay, really stop and think about that for a minute. What kid when they leave and the mom says that goes, you know, if they end up at the party where lo and behold alcohol is being served and someone offers, you know, them a shot or whatever, they stop and go, you know what, I'm just going to have to pass because when I was leaving the house, my mom told me to make good choices. I mean, let, really, you know, we, we laugh about that, but really what kid yeah. really does that? Yeah, it's been all the words before then, all the conversations yeah. before then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know what I changed that to with my youngest son, who I told you was more of the prodigal sort of temperament. Yeah. And I knew that kid was going to be my one. And can I just tell you too, that this kid has probably the greatest capacity to change the world for Jesus. Mm. So even though he was my hardest teenager to raise because he was my mini me, he had to learn a lot of things the hard way. He insisted yeah. on that. Yeah. yeah. And and I bet you everybody out there listening has at least one child <laughs> like that. If you have more than one or two or three. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that child, instead of saying, make good choices. When he would leave the house, I would say, Hayden, RTC, remember the cross. Because really, isn't that what it's all about? You're not going to make good choices unless you stop and reflect on what Jesus did on that cross to pay for whatever it is choice you're about to make or you're tempted to make, I should say. Yeah. Some of our kids need to remember the bigger picture, the bigger reason why, instead of just like in the moment to moment choices. Not just our kids, but ourselves, yeah. right? Before yeah. we share that tidbit of gossip, it might be nice to remember the cross. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get that person who's behaving in a way that is contrary to the Bible, mm. we might need to ourselves remember the cross. Mm. So true. Oh, Vicki, I want to talk for three hours. This is just not okay, enough time. Ah! This is not enough time. I'm going to list off these five conversations. There are two books, five conversations you must have with your daughter, five conversations you must have with your son. And it's the same conversation starters, but a different content under each. So they're don't let the culture define you, which we talked through. Guard your heart. Have a little sex respect. Childhood is only for a season. That's that launching you were talking about. You are who you've been becoming. And that was what you were saying with the discipline. So if y'all want help in having these conversations, definitely check out both those resources. And I think we're doing a giveaway. So be on the lookout for that. Um, I'm so thankful. I, I know that we need to go, but you mentioned that statistic about engaged Christians versus churched Christians. And I'm guessing people are going to ask me, is there a book that that came from, a Barna research book? That study, I guess, I, it was, it was a study that turned into a book and I don't have the title. There's one that I love called revolutionary parenting. That's a lot about 
kids who I choose. don't think it was okay. that one. Okay, I'll find it. Yes. I'll find it and I'll link yes. it in the show notes. Um, because this is what we're talking about. I mean, I'm guessing that having these conversations is what you're saying creates yes, an is. engaged Christian. If you heard Vicky say that and you're like, so what do I do to go beyond just a church Christian to an engaged Christian? In summary, start talking yes. to your kids. And that is exactly what Bar- the Barna study found is that it engaged Christian parents were talking to their kids real time along the way, not afraid to wrestle with them with some of these topics. Well, we really, truly appreciate you. Anytime we have a mom who has gone before us and can, you know, maybe you haven't written that book of things you would tell your younger mom self, but you just told us. So we're appreciative of of what you've shared. And is there a place online that gals can find you? They can always find me at VickiCourtney.com. And that's Vicky with an I at the end, Courtney.com. And then I have a Facebook author page. I'm fairly active there and Instagram as well. And so they will see a deluge of pictures <laughs> of my grandchildren. So I I'm an unapologetic over poster of grandkid pics is my <laughs> bio. I love it. I love it. That's future hope for us. Uh, so thank you so much. I'll put all these links in the show notes. Y'all can find them there over at Don't Mom Alone. Thanks, Vicki, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Have you ever heard that phrase, we don't know what the future holds, but we know the one who holds the future. It might be a song. I don't know, but it's true. It is 100% true that we have a God who knows how this whole thing ends and nothing is outside of his hands. So whatever you're feeling or whatever this conversation stirred up in you, I want to point you back to him. We're not going to bury our heads in the sand and we're not going to run around like chickens with our heads cut off. We are going to be wise women who seek him first and his insight into our family's lives for our kids and our situation. And we're going to keep our eyes fixed on him. We're not going to be sent in a tizzy because of the culture, but we're also not going to ignore uh, and let the culture decide the truth for our kids. We're going to love our kids and let truth follow. And I want to pray over you because I really want you to hear those words. Only God can minister to your heart. Lord, I come before you and I pray a blessing over the person who's listening. I pray a spirit of comfort over them. I pray a spirit of wisdom. I pray for followers of you to seek your way most to live a life dedicated to you and where you're placing them and for what purposes you have planned for them. I pray for conversations to start, unexpected conversations about things that matter to you. I pray that for my own family. I pray for moments one-on-one with children or as a whole family. Holy Spirit, I know that you can orchestrate these things and we pray that you would fill us each with the truth of who you are. But Lord, I pray you would overwhelm us with your love, that we would remember you are the one who provides the love that we pour out to those around us, that we can't manufacture it or will it to be. Remind us of the source. I pray for my own heart that I can love selflessly with patience and kindness and in the hardest of scenarios to the hardest of people. I pray, Lord, that you would help us love those who are different than us and love them well and to not demonize 
those who are in a part of the culture, but to always remember the gospel. I thank you for the time that the person listening has taken, and I pray you would minister to their heart so that they would know the peace that passes understanding only available through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for tuning in this week. I know your time is precious, and I appreciate you following along, sharing with your friends. You can connect with me over at anything Don't Mom Alone, don'tmomalone.com, or over on Instagram or Facebook. And uh, I would love to connect with you. And if you want to meet with some people in community, we have the Don't Mom Alone podcast clubs where you are the leader and you connect with other women and discuss the podcast. Or we have the Not Alone community, which is an online option where I provide listening guides. I take past shows and I create a a listening guide is all I can think of focused on one topic. This month it's on marriage. And so I've curated all the past episodes on marriage. I share um, live videos. I'll be doing a live chat coming up. And so, yeah, you can check out the Not Alone community over at don'tmomalone.com forward slash join. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Adios. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, he said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that is superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present and with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.